0: Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. All right, so Father, we thank you um, again for today. And Lord, I just pray that, that your word comes alive in us today. That we become uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. That your, that your word actually uh, causes a shift in our thinking today. God, the, the, my own thinking and the thinking of, of the church, Father, that uh, I, I just pray that there's um, a connection made with your word that, that changes the way that we live our lives and changes the way that we do church today, God. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you. We say, do what you want today. Have your way move on us. Stir in us, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So I'm excited. We're starting a, a new series this week, and it'll be kind of on and off in in January and into February. And it's called Equipping the Saints. And uh, this comes from Ephesians chapter four, which we'll read. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But as we were praying about this series, we were we were we felt that we needed to equip the saints and, and spend some time talking about that, how to live in, in the times that we're living in. And, and we wanna teach you and, and live in a way that we're not only surviving the times, that we're actually thriving in the times. And there's a lot going on in our times. There's a virus that's affected everyone in the world. There's political division, there's economic problems, there's persecution of the church, there's evil agendas that are being exposed and, and happening, there's moral decline. And, and sometimes we can wonder about the times and, and, and think, like, are we in the end times right now? I can't give you the answer to that today. <laughs> but I know that there are many generations that thought that they were living in the end times and they were about to, to see something happen that would lead them up to Jesus' return. And they weren't right. Even think about three or four generations ago when the world was in the midst of a terrible widespread war and a great evil in Adolf Hitler. And, and he, was, you know, he was trying to exterminate the Jewish people. It's like one of the greatest evils that we've seen in our times. And if I was living then, I would have thought that the end was coming. And I give that example to make really a couple points. The first point is, you know, beware of anyone who predicts or or prophesies specific years or dates of the second coming of Christ. They didn't read the whole book. (laughs) Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 36, that only the Father knows the day in the hour when he would come back. Jesus doesn't even know. But secondly, and this is the, the main point I want you to get before we, we launch into what we're talking about. A few verses later, Jesus tells us to be ready. We're supposed to be alert at all times and I think we can get caught up in trying to read the times that we're living in, and it's important to understand the times, but Jesus' message was this. Live your life every day as if he was coming back. We should always have an urgency in our hearts to expand the kingdom of God, and it shouldn't depend on what the external circumstances that we're going through. Uh, You know, it shouldn't depend on that. We need to have a daily urgency that that the kingdom of God that that the things that we, we think are supposed to happen when the end times come, they're supposed to happen every day. Okay? Got it? All right. So what what are some keys to living in these times? Know who God is, his character, his nature, his works by having an intimate relationship with him, and then through that relationship with him, know who you are, know who we are. And today, I really wanna to talk, to talk to you about who you are. We're, we're talking about equipping the saints, and, and today, we're gonna to try to answer the question, who are the saints? You are the saints, You are the saints. That's the answer. You could go home now, but I want to talk a little bit more. You are God's people, and you have an important assignment. And so let's get to our main scripture passage. It's Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we'll pause there for a second. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we'll, we'll really focus on those two verses today, but I want to go on and read because we're going to build in the coming weeks on verses 14 through 16 and beyond. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trick, trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ, from whom the whole body f- being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's a beautiful passage. And, the, and this actually tells us, this is, this is our, our prototype for how the church is supposed to work. The church is the body of Christ. He is the head, but we are the body. And his design was for those, those five things he mentioned in verse 11 to equip the church, the body, to do the work of the ministry. And I wanna talk a little bit about verse 11. Um, and what Paul is giving is, is this description uh, of what's sometimes called the five-fold ministry. And, and I want to tell you, these, these five things mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, these, these functions are still in need in the church today, and they didn't pass away with the early church. And I want to give you just a really brief description. I don't have time to, to give a, a full teaching on this right now, but, but these, these functions that you might call them, these, these anointings, uh, the apostle... You know, it basically means one who is sent. And it was a Roman term to describe a special envoy that was to go to conquer territories and transform it into part of the, that Roman empire. Apostles are sent and they send and they move with power and authority and they teach others to do the same. A prophet is someone who hears from God and speaks it often directionally for a group and raise up A body raises up a company in the ability to hear God. An evangelist is primarily concerned with reaching outward and sharing the gospel, seeing salvation, healing, and other gifts outside of the church. And they teach others and stir up a heart for the lost in the body of Christ. A pastor is one who cares for a body of believers, making sure that they are whole and equipped Think of how a shepherd cares for their sheep. And a teacher, one who teaches, often has a a revelatory gifting pertaining to the word of God and and is able to unlock it for other people and explain uh, explain things in in ways that are easy to consume. These, These five things are also called the gifts of Christ. If you go back to verse seven, um, in Ephesians 4, it says, but to each one of us, grace was giving, given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to people. And then it, it goes on, there's a slight side note, and then he starts saying, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And, the, and, and what is the point? The point is that these functions or these anointings are gifts from Jesus for equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. And, and sometimes in certain Christian circles, we can get caught up um, in these things. and And I personally don't believe they're meant to be these titles that we require people to say before our names or anything like that. In fact, I would ask you to beware of anyone who requires them, uh, requires that title be, to be said before their name or, or has self-appointed themselves with one of these titles. We need to honor people and their giftings, but not glorify them. And my point is, is that Jesus is the great apostle Jesus is the great prophet, Jesus is the great evangelist, Jesus is the great pastor, the great teacher, and and what he did as his gift, he, he, he divided himself up and gave it as a gift to the church. A healthy church will have all of these functions represented in its leadership because they're needed for the body of Christ to be whole. All right, does that make sense? Okay, so who are the saints? We're gonna move on. So who are the saints? We're gonna talk about a few different aspects of, of who you are, the saints. Saint is the Greek word, hegios, and it means God's people, simply, or holy ones, ones that are set apart. And I think the first thing that can trip us up in thinking about ourselves as, as saints is that we believe that we are sinners and not saints. And there's this old phrase that you've probably heard before. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, actually, you were a sinner, right? You were a sinner. Now, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. I mean, why do you think you have to be born again? It's because your old nature as a sinner is dead and your new it died with Jesus on the cross, and your, and your new nature is as a saint. Your new nature is holy. Your new nature is as the righteousness of God. And that's what baptism represents. If you read Romans 6, it's like we, we died with Christ to our old nature, and our new nature is alive. In fact, I think sometimes... <laughs> this is just my opinion, that believing and living as it is your nature to sin actually dishonors what Jesus did on the cross. Your righteousness is part of his reward. First John 3, 6 through 9 says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So your nature is not that of a sin nature anymore. You know, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's sin. And Jesus came and gave us a new nature. You know, some of you, if you're you're familiar with Romans chapter 7, and, and Paul goes on this kind of confusing thing where he said, well, I, I don't do what I want to do, and I want to do, or I don't do what I want to do. Well, I'm not even going to say it right, but, but you know what I'm getting at. But if you read it in context, if you read chapters 6 through 8, Paul is actually making the contrast between living under the law and then what it's like as life under the law of the Spirit, and he, he intersperses that part, kind of saying, like, this is what it was like living under the law. But, but now we are new creations, and we live under the law of the Spirit. And so I believe we are supposed to be, you know, moving towards a life that is not hindered by sin anymore. And actually, our, our nature is to not sin anymore. And, and sometimes we, we just need to, to step into that place where we are not battling with sin anymore. Will we be tempted? Yes. Will we sin? Yes. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But do we go through sanctification? Yes. But the, and the Bible tells us we need to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. In Romans 8:12 and 13, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but is not to the flesh, to live according to it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, and we all have the Spirit living inside of us, you put death to the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, we can overcome sin. And Jesus has already overcome sin for all time. So how do we do this? What do we do? We need, to, we need to understand this in our minds, but we need to understand it in our hearts and, and live and believe that our nature is not to sin. And we are to run... <laughs> Run from sin, flee from sin, flee from sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies. That's one of the lists from Galatians 5. There's other lists in the Bible. We are to flee from sin, but it is not our nature to live in it anymore. It's not our nature, and we need to get that. And if we, can, if we can get to a place where we live in victory over sin because he has given us victory, we can become less inwardly focused. That's one of, you know, the wages of sin is death, but another another problem with sin is it causes us to be in, inwardly focused and we're keep, we're continuing to battle we're continuing to fight but if we can be free from it it allows us to start focusing on the work of the ministry okay all right so I, i'm going to transition so we are saint we are not sinners The Bible also talks about another aspect of of being a saint, and that is that we are priests. I found an interesting passage when I was reading Jeremiah uh, a couple weeks ago. This is Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 17. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel. Nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. So this was a a promise that the Lord uh, gave to David's line and to Israel. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are priests ministering before me can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. And that's it those verses can be kind of confusing, but it's like a rhetorical question that, that the Lord is saying is like, hey, basically what he's saying, you can't you can't cause you know, the sun to change, you can't cause when the moon comes out to change. And no, no more can you cause my covenant to be broken that I've spoken. And so what is his promise? It's in verse 22. It's like he's expanding the promise that he gave to David's line and to Israel. I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sands on the seashore. What he's saying right there, he's talking about us. That through Jesus, we have become kings. We'll talk about that a little bit and priests. They become as measureless as the sand on the seashore. We are now part of the priesthood. This is echoed in the New Testament in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what does it mean if we're, if we're a priesthood or we're priests? Well, it means that our first job in doing the work of the ministry is actually minister to him. In the early Israelite history, the Levites uh, were the priests. They, and their job you know, was to minister to the Lord. They were the only ones allowed to go into the presence of the Lord. And there was the, the high priests and, and all of that. Um, but now we... You know, it says in, in Hebrews, I think, have a great high priest in the line of Melchizedek, Jesus, who sacrificed his very life so that we could all be in the very presence of God every day of our lives. And if you haven't experienced that, if, if you're like, I don't know what it means to be in the presence of God, I wanna, I wanna challenge you right now to start seeking him, even as you're sitting here, and I feel like he's gonna, he's gonna answer your prayer that you're actually gonna understand the feeling and, and the knowledge of being in his presence. Because Jesus made a way for us to do that. We, are, we can boldly go before the throne, throne of grace. Step into his presence, minister before the Lord. That is our first job in doing the work of the ministry. So I talked about a, a royal priesthood. The, the first part of that is, is royalty. So as a saint, you are actually, actually royalty. In Revelations 19, we read this verse a few weeks ago, written on Jesus' thigh, is king of kings and lord of lords. That is who Jesus is, But then if we look at Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, it's talking about us. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Father the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is the part I want you to get. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So that this is a loaded passage, but it tells us first that we have been adopted as children of the Father through Christ. So that is part of our identity as the saints. And it's not a, a master-slave relationship that's based on fear, but it's, it's a, a, a familial relationship, a family-love relationship. It also tells us that we are heirs with Christ as we share in his sufferings and his glory. So what does that mean? We are co-heirs with a king. And not just any king, the king of kings. It means that we're royalty, And that doesn't mean that we think higher of ourselves than we ought, Romans 12, 3. But sometimes I believe that we live our lives as if we're in spiritual poverty. When the Bible tells us we are royalty and that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that's Ephesians 1, 3. We need to know who we are. We are priests and we are royalty. We are sons and we are daughters. 1 Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Each one of you is God's special possession. As a whole, we are God's special possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let me say it again. You are sons and daughters. You are co-heirs, you are royalty, you are priests, you are the bride. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We need to know who we are so that we can do the work of the ministry. And as a pastor, this probably sounds funny, but my job is not to do the work of the ministry. My job is to equip each one of you to do the work of the ministry. I'll do some math for you. Let's put it this way. There's there's four pastors on our staff, right? And to make it easy, say there's 400 people that are, are part of our church. That's a one to 100 ratio, right? And I don't know about you, but I know I can't do a good job in ministry to 100 people. And that's that's just like, Considering inside the church Not even like all the people outside of the church That we should be doing ministry um, to And so You all are ministers You all Have a ministry You are all saints And I think I think a dramatic shift Needs to occur In the way that we do church Across the body of Christ And even in this church It should be a place where we come together, where we worship, where we get in his presence, where we get whole and we get equipped so that we can all go out and do the work of the ministry. Church has become a place of consumption and in some places a place of entertainment instead of a place of encounter. This is why there's churches all across the United States sometimes competing for the same group of people and people are just moving from church to church to see whoever has the best programs or the the best media or the best lighting or the best experience. And they're just trying to draw people in when Jesus' command was to go. We all need to go. And I I think we're on a journey of figuring out what church is supposed to look like in 2022. And I think it needs to change. And that starts with me, but it starts with you. And so if you feel like you need permission, here it is. You can all do the ministry. You can all do the ministry. You have my permission as a leader in this church to do the ministry, and it doesn't mean you have to start a a 501c3 or whatever. It means you, you, you do the ministry wherever you're at. In your homes, in your workplaces, in your schools. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what the ministry is, but if one of the worship leaders could come up. I think Soph is back there. If she, if she can't hear me, then we'll just, we'll go with it. Um, the work of the ministry like I mentioned a little bit ago, is ministering to the Lord as a priesthood. That's the first part of our ministry. But the work of the ministry is also to make disciples. Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to go... Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's part of making disciples. When he commissioned the disciples, he said, Heal the sick, cast out demons, announce the kingdom of God. So disciples live lives of righteousness. You know... Some of the things that Jesus commanded us, if you go to like Matthew chapter six and the Sermon on the Mount, he, he taught us how to live our lives. That's part of discipleship. It's lives of righteousness. Disciples are also live lives of service. Jesus said to, to notice, to serve the poor who are around you. But Jesus also in his commission said that disciples are ones who move in power. Again, they heal the sick, they cast out demons and they announce the kingdom of God. Disciples are ones of righteousness, service and power and disciples are ministers of reconciliation. That is the work of the ministry, to actually reconcile people to the Father. That is all of our jobs, is to go out and to reconcile people through all of these things. Through ministering to the Lord, through right living, through service, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the ministry. And I think we need to reorient our lives to live around those things. And I don't know what it looks like for each of you in a practical sense. I wish I could give you the three keys to to doing the work of the ministry for your life. But I think that's actually, wouldn't be doing you a good service. That's the besides the point. The point is for you to connect with the Holy Spirit and find out what the ministry is that he's called you to do. So that's what I want to do for a moment. So, if you would just all stand up, I just want you to take a few minutes. And ask the Lord, what is my ministry? Who are the people that I'm ministering to? Where have I missed it, God? And where are you leading me? So just do that right now. Spirit, we ask right now that you show us how to be true disciples. That you show us how to do the work of the ministry. That you show us how to live lives of righteousness. How you that you show us how to live rightly before you in your presence, and so that as we go, we become ambassadors. And God, I pray specifically for every person in this room, that you show them their ministry, that you show them how to be ministers of reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like maybe there's some in this room that are receiving a heart for the poor that they haven't felt before. And that God is calling you to do something to the poor of this city and the poor of this region and maybe even the poor of the nations. So Father, I bless that right now. God, you told us to serve the poor. And so Father, I pray that you give us a heart for them. A heart for the needy. God, and I just pray for just a alignment for this person or people, God, that you show them the way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's another thing I want to pray over. I felt like the Lord was saying that he was going to break glass ceilings today. And for those of you who feel like you've been stuck in your walk that you feel like you've been just pounding and 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 asking the Lord to, to do something in your life and you just feel like you've been going through the motions. He wants to break your ceiling today. He wants to take you higher with him. He wants to move you into a new place. He wants to move you into a place of hearing his voice in greater measure and, and ministering to others in greater measure. So Father, we pray that you break glass ceilings today in Jesus' name, that you break glass ceilings Ceilings today in Jesus' name, that people are able to, to grow in you. And Father, I pray that glass ceilings in, a, in another way where they feel like their prayers have just been hitting the ceiling and falling back and that you don't hear them, God. I pray that you show them that you hear their prayers, God, that you hear their prayers, that they are beautiful beautiful in your hearing, that they move the heart of Jesus, that they move the heart of the Father. Your (laughs) prayers are heard. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I think he wants to, to do a commissioning today. And so everybody that's just standing up, just raise your hands to receive. He wants to commission you all as ministers of the gospel. He wants to commission you all as ministers of the gospel. So Holy Spirit, come right now. As a leader of this church, I commission the church to go and make disciples, to go and make disciples in this region, to go and make disciples of their families, to go and make disciples in their schools, to go and make disciples in their workplaces. So Holy Spirit, fall on them right now. God, I pray for uh, Holy Spirit to move in power on these people. God, I pray for supernatural wisdom and revelation that they may know the hope and the the riches of their glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus thank you Jesus so I, I commission them I commission them in the name of the Father in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit thank you Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.